really just a conversation. I love it. We're just hanging out here in Highland Park. Thank you for having me to your home and being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, and we'll get right into it. There's only <laughs> one official question to this podcast that starts everything off. And that is, what were you up to when you were seven years old? Oh, my goodness. Immediately went to Tinker Toys. Tinker Toys? Yeah. That's what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know about those? Yeah. Like, they're kind of like, not like, they're like connects. Did you have connects? No. Similar thing where they snap together. And, okay. Yeah. yeah. These are like, to me, like the better version of Legos. Yeah. Um, And they had like a brochure inside the box that had instructions on how to do um, a Ferris wheel, a helicopter, yeah. a playground swing set. And I would do all of them in one sitting in like an hour maybe or less it really was, yeah so you followed the directions yes but after doing that kind of like routine i knew how to do it yeah so i would just continue i'd sit in my room and like put them together yeah what's the saying learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist <laughs> it's like you got to go through the motions of learning how things go together but then you can be creative with your own uh, i was definitely designs. an artist like i wanted to be picasso really yes See, I, I was an artistic kid, but I always struggled with abstract co like composition. I just, my brain is very realistic. Like I, if it wasn't hyper-realistic, if I wasn't moving towards drawing as, things as I saw them, I was failing. And I could not, it took me a long time to start working in abstract. Actually, during the pandemic is when I first started like painting my feelings and stuff. Oh, that's so interesting. Were yeah. you like that as a kid? Like you couldn't yeah. access abstract as a no, kid? No, I didn't understand it. Like I could, I could appreciate it visually, but I could not create it. Interesting. I, I, did, I had like a total disconnect from like how people got there. I was the opposite. Really? I was very abstract and almost didn't give a fuck. Really? When I was a kid. Like I would just like go because I didn't think anything was right or wrong. And then as I grew up, I started creating this like uh idea in my head or like meaning that like there's a right way to do things or there's a wrong way and so abstract became really difficult for me to access oh so you like learned your way out of it yeah yeah i mean i think that's more of a childlike um perspective the idea that like there is no right or wrong answer because there is no right or wrong answer and then we learn that there are some societal right and wrong answers mm -hmm. and then we sort of wiggle our way into that track and mold and um, learn those heuristics of how things are supposed to be, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, where are you at now? Can you get back to abstract? I am getting back to it in different ways though. Like I went to school for interior design and I had this goal to be the CEO of a big company, like a big firm. And I practiced interior design for five years um, I did very well. I was at a top 25 firm in wow. New York City. And I feel like that's like where I remember feeling constrained. And I decided, you know what? This is just not for me. Mm -hmm. um, and someone jokingly made a comment to me at an event that I should be an actor. Really? Yeah. And I took it as a joke because I never, ever imagined being an actor and so a month later, I found myself enrolling in an acting course. Huh. Yeah. And in I New York City. In New York City at the Borrow Group. Yeah. A great place for anyone in New York City or not looking for a class, go. 
yeah, and I remember my first class I left and I'm really close with my dad. Mm -hmm. So I called him, it was like 11 p.m. I just got off the subway and I was like, oh my God, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life. Really, you had that moment. Oh my God. I've heard about that with like comedians do their first open mic, they get no laughs, but they're like, this is what I do. Yeah, like I could almost, I feel like I'm just reliving it right now. Yeah. It was an amazing feeling. But you didn't have any inclination towards that as a kid. No, but I was very creative as a kid. Yeah. Like, I remember um, one Thanksgiving, my uncle and I <laughs> sang, like, take me out to the ball game and read, like, a story to our family. It was not, like, a big, like, family gathering necessarily, but, like, I would do things like that. Performative, um, yeah. You were a performer, creative. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but not, like, an outward performer. Like, I remember me and my sister and two of our childhood friends we got a hold of a, a cam recorder. Mm -hmm. My dad always had those. Like when we were growing up, he tape recorded like yeah. our whole childhood, which is so awesome to revisit 90s now. Kids, yeah. 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 Pretty much. And we put on Spice Girls <laughs> and did like a music video. And I was shy. Like yeah. my sister was out in front of the camera and I was like peeking behind the, the, couch but i think in my head i was just being like a weirdo and i liked that <laughs> yeah no i get that i mean i was a weird kid too i mean you're wearing a nickelodeon shirt which was like my childhood i was a nickelodeon kid yeah and it also nickelodeon gave me this free license to be like weirdly creative because if you go back and watch even like the intros and outros to the episodes like there's a lot of weird multimedia art like foil balls being rolled up and then to unravel and it'd be the nickelodeon logo so it was all this weird multimedia stuff that allowed me to have like creative freedom as a kid but i was super shy yeah like could not i remember my mom or my nanny someone took me to karate classes for the first time and i couldn't like get out of the dressing room i was so nervous and like i was like, crying i was like a big crybaby as a kid yeah and I was not performative, but there was part of me that wanted to be creative. And I think marrying the two definitely happened later in life, like in my 20s. So at what point did you decide, I want to put myself in this container? <laughs> I always had, so, so when I was a kid, I wanted to be two things when I grew up. One was a jet pilot, because I saw Top Gun and I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and then two was I wanted to be an actor. And I didn't know why. I was living in St. Louis, Missouri. There was no, I didn't know any actors. No one in my family was an actor. Hollywood was a million miles away. Like I had no like perspective of what the career path even was, but there was just always this idea that I wanted to be an actor. And I kind of kept it secret, and I didn't do the school plays. I didn't do the musicals in high school because it wasn't cool, and I was on sports teams, so I couldn't. And then finally, like my final year of college, I took an acting class because I had like the courage to do it. And I was like the older kid in the class. So I was like a little bit more confident. And the, the professor created this really open, safe environment for us to just be weird actor kids. And I was like, I fucking love this. And during our midterm review, he he sat me down and he was like, he's like, you came in a little bit like too cool for school. But he's like, you opened up and like, he's like, you could do this. He's like, if you want to do this, you could do this. And I was like, that's really nice of you to say. And then eventually... <laughs> Too cool for school. That is hilarious. Yeah, but I get exactly... He called you out. Yeah, he's totally <laughs> right. But, uh, and then I still had this like secret desire. And I, to my first job out of college was being a designer. I designed theme parks in mm -hmm. the Middle East. And then I got transferred to LA and I was like, maybe I could like move towards production design. I'll get on set. Someone will notice me and they'll like put me in the... As I had this idea of how it would happen. And when I moved out to LA, I met another kid from my college who took 
acting classes was a theater major with the same professor. And I told him about my experience of my midterm review. And I was like, he probably says that to everyone. He was like, no, dude. He's like, I was a theater major. I'm trying to be an actor now. He never said anything close to that to me. And I was like, huh. And so it just sort of kept that spark going until I found my way onto set. That's so interesting. Yeah. I um Something you talked about is just like this teacher or instructor giving you like allowance. Yeah. And this is something that comes up for me because I am also a, a life coach. Right. And... um the amount of allowance that we seek from other people is mm-hmm. just so unfortunate Yeah, that like, imagine we allowed ourselves in whatever circumstance it is with yourself, other people, um, in your faith, spirituality, like whatever it is, like, what could you really create from that? Like, yeah. You know? And I definitely want to talk about your coaching because I think that's such an, I've never even thought about that because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts hosted by comedians just because it's like a lighthearted way to get through LA traffic. Yeah. But almost all of them have this story of very early on having someone who was higher up the ladder of success pull them aside and be like, they're like, don't quit. Like you got like you're, you need some work, but like don't quit. And that's the inflection point where they're like, okay, put my head down and let's like do this. And I think, you know, without that moment or that allowance from an outside source, would they have given up? Would they have burnt out? Would they have been like, what the fuck am I doing? Like I'm making nothing. I'm driving to these, you know, these shows to make not even gas money. Like I'm curious where you think the ability to manifest or bring about that allowance for yourself would come from. I, Cause I don't even know. Yeah. So, I mean, there's allowance like permission. Yeah. And then there's reminders. Right. I believe we all need reminders. I need reminders. Mm -hmm. This just came up for me with one of the leadership coaches from my, I went through a a coaching program last Mm -hmm. year and we had a conversation the other day and we were talking about reminders. Like we all have essence, which is who we are to our core and survival mechanism, which is our comfort zone, our automatic ways of being, our fears, our feel good and bad moments. Yeah. Um, how we react to stress exactly that's all within our survival mechanism and when survival comes up for us something triggers it you're trying something new in your life we forget how great we are or the amazing things that we're doing or have created and who we are and Mm so you know i forget the person that says like you are the the sum of the five people that are around you love that Um, hypothesis or whatever yeah and it's true like five or however many you know like Like, your closest sphere yeah like your community is what i i like to think of it as the average of those different personality types yeah or just like surround yourself with individuals who will pull you to your greatness when you need it yeah because like you can do things on your own it's always an option but i always like to say is this quote like Want to go fast, go alone. Want to go far, go together. Yeah. That's really, really poignant. Want to go fast, go alone. Want to go far, go together. Yeah, because, I mean, I think being an island, especially in this world, the acting and modeling world, where you feel like an island most of the time because you don't have coworkers, consistent coworkers. You don't have, you know, you have agents, but they kind, they're kind of these, like, unseen faces behind computer screens that email you or call you every once in a while. And like, you may have like literally no relationship with them. And like, but if you, 
if you totally embrace that and be like, well, I'm just this, I always say like, we're kind of like mercenaries. We show up for the job, we do it and we go home. But if you totally embrace that and neglect the community that is available, I don't think the sustainability is there. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. You know, I moved to LA three years ago. Oh, wow. And I, it's such an interesting city. Um, it's very spread out. I come from New York and New York City, and that's like one of the largest cities in the world. Yeah. But it's just such a different environment where I found it difficult to create community mm-hmm. here in LA, at least the kind of community that I want, like a core group of people that I'm surrounded by that are on the same wave as me, looking for continued growth, creating new things in their life and can have each other's back. And, you know, I used to blame LA for it. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, I, I, (laughs) I think people blame LA for a lot of things out here. (laughs) Um, but you know, I think now I'm in a space where I'm just like, I think this is just life, you know, like it takes time to create something Mm -hmm. and for it to progress to what, your vision is like some things don't take overnight. Yeah. And that goes with like anything you're creating, not just community, but like transformation, you Mm -hmm. know, like that takes time. Yeah. I mean, I think my philosophy on LA life is like you, there's everything here. You want the beach? You got it. You want the mountains? You got them. You want distractions? You got them. You want motivation? You want people are going to push you? You got it. But like, what do you gravitate towards or what do you, purposefully move towards is what really matters. And I, I've talked about this before, but I took a class with, uh, Leslie Kahn, mm-hmm. the acting teacher. And there was a free session where this, uh, coach came in and he was kind of pitching his service and it was fine, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, Tell us how you really feel. I didn't sign up for it, okay. but he had this really great philosophy where he's like, you can, you can set goals and you can say like, I want to win an Oscar. I, you know, whatever scale it, however direction, whichever direction you want. All you can control, however, is moving towards that goal. So you think like, I want to grab that cup on the table sitting next to me. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I can grab that cup, but an earthquake could happen in the second I go to reach for it. All I can control is that I'm going to actively move towards that goal. And if it doesn't happen, that's when you readjust and reassess and make a new plan. But so it's like you can have a plan for what you want and ideas of how to get there but you have to be okay with it not coming true and like being able to react and adapt. And I think that's where having a community behind you that can support you in times of maybe failure or just like hiccups, road bumps, Mm -hmm. um, makes a huge difference because it's not all on you. Yeah. I mean, that's like relatability, right? Like just being in conversations, like I've been in conversations recently with other actor friends where we just relate with one another and we share what is going on or auditions we've had or yeah. scenarios and it one makes me feel not alone yeah. uh, I learn a lot from the conversation and I feel connected to whoever I'm speaking to and that's so important you don't have to do this alone yeah. like reach out to other people and I promise like they'll reach back because I'm sure this is something that most people want and maybe aren't even aware of. Yes. And going back to this example you gave of reaching for the the glass, we all have a choice. Like 
you have choice every single moment of your day. Mm-hmm. You have choice to get out of bed at a certain time. You have choice to eat breakfast at a certain time or not. Yep. You have choice to be early or late to an event. Don't be late. (laughs) (laughs) Or or be late if that's what you're on. (laughs) So that's like the first step of things like choose and then commit to the choice. Because I think that a lot of people choose. Like I feel like that's something that I see occurring like over and over, but the commitment isn't necessarily attached to it. Mm -hmm. And then you take the action, like choose, commit, take the action and then get your result. You can't just hope and wish, and, and those are great starting points. Right. But you have to have some other, what do you call them? Actionable steps. Yes. I mean, that's the thing with like the law of attraction and like vision boards. And it's like, yeah, you could put a picture of a G Wagon on your wall. Are you going to get it? Probably not. Yeah. But if you have it on your wall as your goal, and then you're like, okay. You know, how do I how do I move towards this? What are the steps? Break it down. What can I do tomorrow? What can I do in a month? What can I do in a year? Then you might get your G Wagon or whatever's on your vision board. Yeah. And I think when people just sit around they're like, well, I've been manifesting so hard and nothing's <laughs> coming true. It's like, well <laughs> No sorry. kidding. Yeah, I think this is a misconceived notion about manifestations. Like yeah. I don't really speak on manifestations so much in my practice. Yeah. Um, but it is a great way to create certain things in your life. With the understanding that you can't just put a picture of G-Wagon on your vision board. Like you have to create other things around it, take actions and move towards that results. Like it's not, it's just like thin air. I mean, maybe you'll get the G-Wagon. Maybe, but that's the outlier. (laughs) And I just, I think that word gets a lot of heat and I'm not a big fan of the manifestation craze because I think it, 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 it conjures up this idea of like alchemy. It's like if I just think it, it will be. And it's like, no. Like, yeah. If you call it something more like have a goal. You know, there's a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, mm-hmm. which is about like, like if you don't have a specific goal, like I want this amount of money in the bank by this date. If you're like, I just want to be rich. Like that's not a goal. That's just like this vague idea. And you'll never get there because you don't have a specific goal that requires specific actionable steps to get to. Yeah. And I want to make a very clear note. It's important to have this vision. It's important to have your goal. Right. Like create the manifestation you want to create, create the affirmations that you need to hear and listen to because that is a a very important starting point. Yeah. To understand what you're even looking to create Mm -hmm. is a very crucial part in transforming or reinventing or creating something new. Yeah. And I think a big part in that in terms of, identifying what you want to what your goal is what you're moving towards is knowing who you are mm-hmm. and i'm curious if your practice involves your your coaching practice involves um helping people cut away all the bullshit all the attachments all the things they think they should or they are or what people tell them they are like you know we get we, we get stuck in these grooves that are like pre preset for us and i think shedding those is a very difficult process but a really essential process especially I mean, I think you, based on your T-shirt and your stories and your references, I think we're the same age. And like, I think this is a time in people's lives where they've been out in the real world for 10, 15 years. And they're like, do I like what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, some of them have kids and homes and mm-hmm. like serious careers. I've been a little more like footloose and fancy free. But like, I'm in that place of like, you know, what's in line with who am I? What's in line with that? So like, I'm curious how you approach that. Yeah, yeah, it's actually uh, a very large foundation to what I do in my coaching. 
Um, so I am an ontological coach. Ontological. Yeah, okay. which is the study of being. Mm. I'm trained in being and understanding human beings. Okay, I like it. Yeah. And one of the early on things I typically do with clients is understand people's beings so that they can even have awareness around who they are to their core, their essence, like I mentioned earlier. Because when we are operating from our survival mechanism for so long, and most people are, Mm -hmm. you forget your greatness to a point where it's like buried in the ground and covered with dirt and seed and grass. And at some point, it's just like below a farm or like yeah, a garden covered up. and you forgot about it. Yeah. So I work with people to understand their essence, first of all, mm-hmm. so that they can create from showing up in that space. And I support them in expanding the lens that they currently see things through and you know act as a mirror shine light on blind spots that they maybe don't see yeah and close the gap of where they are to where they want to be yeah like you said shine a light one of the best um descriptions of a mentor i ever heard is like you hold the light i'll dig like if you just dig on your own you're gonna kind of miss the point you're digging in the dark you don't know what you're looking for but if you have someone who can hold the light like hey hey you struck gold like there it is that's that's like that sort of symbiotic relationship and that's really necessary. Yeah. I mean, again, like especially for people that reliably operate from survival mechanism, they're not really going to stand great in their essence. And Mm -hmm. so it is crucial or necessary for someone like a coach or whatever support structure that you are seeking can shine the light and show you what you're not willing to see or can't see. Right. Right. And that's, so the, the whole kind of conceit behind that first question, where were like, what were you up to when you were seven years old is the idea that when you're seven, you're in this place of like, ideally, unless you have a really traumatic childhood, like you're in a pretty free place. Like everything's taken care of for you and you have this freedom to sort of be your weird self and gravitate towards what you gravitate towards. And, that person that you are at seven is essentially essence, essentially who you're going to grow up to become if you stay, if, you know, if you stay true to that path. And it's also who you can get back to if you find that essence later on and then, you know, rediscover yourself. So how would you connect your seven year old self to who you are now? So, I mean, I'm not only a coach. Yeah. I work through my transformations as well. Right. Like I'm constantly reinventing. Yeah. Essentially, I'm the clearing for my clients. So as long as I'm creating, I can clear for my clients to create more. Yeah. Otherwise, I would plateau and then only be able to support people to where I've created. Right. And so things that I've transformed and worked on, I mean, there's so many, but like, really getting back to my essence and understanding who I am Mm -hmm. and my greatness and like how unique unique that is and how we're all so different and valuable and like you're different than me. Mm -hmm. Neither one of us is better. It's just we're unique in our own ways. Right. And so I feel like I've just felt a lot more free to choose what I want to choose mm-hmm. and not attach 
any meanings to it or or make myself believe that I'm wrong mm-hmm. for wanting to choose certain things or create certain things because you know creating something new is scary. Yeah. Um it's unknown and you don't know really what's going to happen and it's also extremely freeing yeah. to create in that space. And so like my 7-year-old self I just felt like that all the time. Like yeah. I didn't give a shit about like the consequence if there was one on the other side of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm like that. I'm like I don't give a fuck because you know what? I know who I am. Yeah. I know my greatness. I know what I'm creating like I I believe like I have the Midas touch. Everything I touch turns to gold. Fuck yeah. Yeah, and like that's not you know, some people might think that that's like uh narcissistic is very deep but no no but it's just it's confident and it's like self not self-aware but like there's a sense of self-esteem that's like yeah it's gonna turn to gold but it's gonna turn to like aubrey's gold it's my mm-hmm. gold it's not may not be your gold but like it's my touch it's not you know it doesn't, it's like um it's very personalized and you know i had a conversation with danny Fazenfeld, and he talked about how he had this career breakthrough because he's like, I'm the best commercial actor. Everything I do turns into a booking. Yeah. Like, and he just like fucking owned it. And he, he, his affirmation was so specific. He's like, I'm the number one commercial actor in the world. And then like he had this weird <laughs> circumstance where he sort of was like, he became the number one commercial actor yeah. in the world because of this disruptive advertising campaign that sort of began like walk and talk to camera that you see on all the insurance ads and stuff. Now he's an interesting guy and he's has a lot to say about that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about, like the idea of creating something new is scary. And it's that first leap. It's that first mm-hmm. move towards something that's like, I have, I struggle with that so much. It's like, you know, I think about when I was in drawing classes and studio art classes in college, like I could not go to the studio. I could not get myself to go to the studio. And I would wait till like 2 a.m. to go there. And once I got there, I was in fucking heaven. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, it's, this is this is what I want to do. And it's that resistance. I'm a big fan of the book War of Art by mm-hmm. Stephen Pressfield, which is all about your like your essential creativity and what you should bring to the world and why there's this other force, this equal and opposite force of resistance that tries to prevent you from doing it. And it's all within your own head. It's this like yeah. it's this malignant, self doubting, self um, self defeating force that uh it's a bitch to get It is over. a bitch. <laughs> well, you know, there's uh, there's this thing called the model by the Life Coach School. Okay. Um, and it is your thoughts create your feelings mm-hmm. that create your results. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you apply that to certain areas that you're maybe stuck on or thinking badly about yourself yeah. or whatever, apply the model and see what, what that changes for you. Yeah, I mean, just that perspective of like your thought, you know, think it's to tie it into acting, like think the thoughts and the expression will appear on your face. Mm -hmm. Like think about being happy and like your, your lips will curl up and your eyes will twinkle. Like it, it, it is totally automatic. Like Mm -hmm. you can't help it. And that's why like, like if you're depressed, smile, it will trick your brain into thinking you're happy and it's real. It is. But if you're also depressed, get the support you need. (laughs) Like you need to go seek the help that you need. Yeah. But it it, it can be an acute mood shifter. And like, 
you you see the things you're looking for. If you walk into the DMV being like, this is going to be a fucking nightmare. Mm -hmm. Then every little thing that reinforces that idea is going to be like, see, oh, this guy's, oh, yeah. fuck this. I knew yeah, it. Yeah. But if you go and be like, hey, like, this is a chance where I get to sit in this line. This is what I have to do. And like, I'm going to go through my Instagram and like, you know, update my, like, you can just like, I like to frame things as like, not I have to, I get to. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to sit in line. Oh, I get to sit in this line and I can play solitaire for two hours and ignore the world. I get to like just look at people and judge them and like, you mm -hmm. know, find a way to like find the get and not the have to. I think that's a, my buddy just did a clinical mushroom trip. Where, okay. You know, one of these like controlled uh, psilocybin. Like ayahuasca? No, psilocybin, magic okay. mushrooms. But he went to a hotel room with this like kind of shaman guide, mm -hmm. did the like blackout um, uh, eye shades and like ear, like listened to music and basically just like tripped on a bed for eight hours. And it's not like recreational. It's, it's, it's supposed to be therapeutic. And one of his big takeaways was that he looks at too many things as a chore mm -hmm. and not as like, this is what I'm doing. So find a way to enjoy it. Yeah. And I think you can do that with pretty much any circumstance. Yeah. Well, that's like your relationship to things. Like relationship isn't only romantic relationship. Yeah. It's relationship to everything, everything. that is in your environment. Yeah. Exactly. Like your I I usually say like your internal environment affects your out out external environment mm -hmm. and vice versa. Like Marie Kondo yep. sparking the joy. Typically she does it in your living space or your in physical environment. And that applies to everything really. Yeah. Um, like how you see things and relate to them is going to have an effect on uh, how you approach them, yeah. how you're being there, yeah. how you're showing up to it, how you're committing or not committing to it, um, your enrollment in it, mm -hmm. and the action you take or inaction. Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, change the way you look at things and the things you see change. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like you have a direct effect on what you're looking at based on your own perspective. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about what you were talking about, like similarities and uniqueness and differences and how you, your, your uniqueness is like your ultimate strength. Mm -hmm. And I think to tie this back to our industry, like people lose sight of that pretty quickly. They get out here and they, they're like, Oh, the leading man looks like this. He wears mm -hmm. this to an audition. He like trims his facial hair. Like, and they become these cookie cutters that then very quickly, you know, the years add up. You've been in LA for 10 years. And like, you don't have a personality anymore. You're just this mannequin of like this type. And that guy will get booked here and there. But like, will he break through and be the one that people are like, wow, you, like we're going to put you on this network series. And like, you're like, you're going to be our lead because they're, they're this very like f superficial, false, hollow structure of a person as opposed to a real person who happens to also pretend to be other people i think <laughs> if you are trying to fit a mold that is not you yeah you're gonna run into some some i don't even know the word for it because it's not a be all end all mm -hmm. but i am i'm imagining it's going to bring up some roadblocks for you yeah frustration attachments desperation yeah and just <laughs> like See, see, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Kind of thoughts. But it's like, is that you? It's not that you're not good, good enough. It's this thing you're trying to be is not good enough. And I think there's a weird balance point because like, yeah, when I go to an audition for this, like I need to dress to the role. Like I can't just wear what I happen to have on. 
but I also need to wear some version of the appropriate wardrobe that like I feel good in and like that's what I would my version of my mm-hmm. true self would like I just went to an audition before this and it was like where would you wear on a date and I put this shirt on and I was like ah this is like a little maybe too like rugged for like the role and I was like this is what I would wear on a date I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be fucking comfortable and I'm gonna own this audition and who knows what will happen with it but I felt good about that decision because I look like I'm on a date and it's like the date I would go on and that's all I have yeah you know yeah again like trying to fit a mold of what you think it is is not where it's at yeah uh, I remember I did a headshot session once and I was like okay I need this like commercial look and it's gonna be like the cool friend on a date like whatever it is and whatever I bought like new clothes and then I did a session with my agent to pick out the wardrobe we didn't select one fucking item of clothing that I bought exactly we picked everything from my closet that already existed and you didn't pick it the it was probably Garrett or yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) which is so awesome Garrett's so good at that um and, and even you're trying to force, he's just like, not that. And you're like, but, but I so quickly. It. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no. Literally went through all my wardrobe. Just took the tags off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? What do you mean? He's like, yeah. no, yeah. that's not what we're doing. I'm like, yeah. Right, he picks fine. the old shirt that's like my favorite <laughs> shirt, but I'm like, there's no way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that actors get into a really good habit of trying to fix things. Mm. I need to fix this circumstance to change what's occurring and like think of like examples like headshots yes they are necessary yeah. so do not get me wrong like you do need to have very good headshots once a year like, update yeah. yeah or maybe not once a year like maybe you yeah. haven't changed that much right. but here is where i notice a difference in headshots is my personality mm. when i so I went through my transformation. I'm still going through it. But my initial um, start of doing this coaching work, I was like, you know what? The headshots I have, like, who the fuck is that person? Yeah. And it had nothing to do with the background color, the clothes I was wearing, the expressions on my face. I just could see my being. And Mm. I'm like, no, that is not me. So I brought it to my reps and was like, hey, I think that I need new new headshots. And they were like, I mean, yeah, like if you want, like go ahead. And I did it. My headshots now are fucking awesome. Yeah. Because they are me. Right. And I showed up to the pre-sessions of like, you know, figuring out what I wanted in, in my headshot session to look like and all that stuff. Like I had a lot of say in it. Mm-hmm. I spoke out on what I wanted it to look like, who I am, um, so that the team that was involved in the session understood. Yeah. Because they work with so many people, and especially um, certain agencies want certain things for their talent. For sure. Um, but if something doesn't feel right for you and it's not you, you have to tell them. Yeah. And they can figure, they can mold it and figure it out so that it's a marriage of both otherwise you're catfishing casting directors yeah to an extent like you're showing them something that they're not going to get when you get walk into the room yeah yeah so this like being again is so important like knowing who you are to your core um and understanding that like fixes like headshots because I'll I need to get new audi- I need to get more auditions so yeah. I need to get new headshots or I need more auditions so I need to meet this casting director and and take this class that everyone is taking and like blah 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 like 
yes, maybe that is the right move for you. Mm -hmm. And understand that often what I see happening a lot is so much desperation and attachment to a certain result that like you're forgetting who you are in the whole process of it. Yeah. And um, not living your truth, essentially. Yeah. And um, on the last episode with Linda, the owner of It Model Management, she talked a lot about how your self-confidence needs to be separate from this work mm -hmm. because the rejection will crush you because it's more rejection than acceptance. And I think being in touch with who you are, bringing that to the rooms, to the auditions, to the sets, and then going back and like living your life without attachment to like this end all be all, this defines me, I'm an actor, I'm this type, I'm, you know, this, I'm just like him, I'm just like her. That's such a trap and yeah. like you'll, Maybe you'll be successful on paper, but like, will you be happy? Will you be uh, self-realized? I don't know. Yeah. That's where I think meaning comes in. Mm -hmm. The meaning that we attach to certain circumstances. Yeah. Like, oh, I got this audition. I didn't get a call back. Or you got a call back. You got put on a veil and then you didn't book it. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, that means that I suck. It means that I fucked that audition up. It means that my agent's going to drop me. Right. And, and then like, what does that turn into? Just like so much self-loathing, throwing yourself under the bus. And by the time you know it, like you're not even, you don't even have your own back. Your, your self-compassion, self-worth, self-trust is like down the drain. Yeah. And then what? Like, if not you, then who? So like in these moments, give yourself a moment, whatever you see fit for yourself to allow yourself to feel the feelings that you need to feel from whatever it is, if you didn't book or you didn't meet someone you wanted to meet or I don't yeah. know. Definitely allow yourself time to like sit with it. But like the meaning that we attach to things has got to freaking stop. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes back to sort of getting out of a very self-centered way of looking at it, like sort of transcending yourself and realizing like, yeah, I thought I was perfect for that role. I did my best I could in the audition. I thought the director and I had a good connection in the callback, but he didn't book me. Okay, like I wanted it. I didn't get it. But like the director wanted someone else and he's going to get to work with the person he wants to work with. And then I, that day I was supposed to be on set, maybe I'll get a bigger audition. Like you have to, you have to reframe it and like that it's not just this like this end it's not this door closing it's other doors potentially opening it's a chance to maybe brush up on your game and like go take that callback class and know how to crush it next time mm -hmm. or just accepting that like maybe the guy who booked it needed that money like way more than you there's there's a million ways to think about it in a more positive in a more positive way than just like i wanted it i didn't get it i'm mad you know yeah well i think a very simple tool for actors can be stick to the facts mm -hmm. like in these situations, maybe even write it down. What are the facts of this situation? And the only way it's a fact is if you can have like a physical bowl of it. Yeah. And otherwise, what do you mean physical bowl? Physical bowl. 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 Like bowl. if, and this might be a horrible <laughs> example is like if a reporter was reporting it. Yeah. Like really a fact. If someone yeah. was following you around all day for like a month, what would they say about the right, fact you right. know so really 
depict what the facts are Mm -hmm. and leave all else to believe it's an interpretation and Mm -hmm. something you're making it mean. Yeah, the story you're telling yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's just not going to help you. But also, you don't... There's so many facts you don't know and we talk about this all the time on this podcast is like, you may have been one inch too tall. Mm-hmm. And if you had that fact, it's like, it's like, oh shit, like I was too tall. I can't change my height. I can let that go. <laughs> but you'll never know that. So you'll assume like, oh, like my agent didn't push me hard enough. And like you'll create a narrative that aligns with the way you want to perceive the situation, which is woe is me. And then, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just thinking about how wild we are. Like actors are wild. Like I don't know any other industry like this. Like, I really do acknowledge us for being actors and being in this industry and everybody else who is also in this industry and an actor. Like, you guys have to understand how much we do and how much we are challenged and yeah. and really give yourself these acknowledgements. Like, it's so necessary and I'll be the first to tell you you're fucking amazing and, like, you are just killing it and doing all the right things and, like you're making shit happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to compare our career path to, and say it's like more challenging or more this or that than any other career path. Cause everything is fucking hard. No one knows what they're doing and we're all winging it. But there is an element of like, we're fucking wild. It's wild. It's wild. I will say that. I will uh, I will yeah. put us in a separate category, you guys. <laughs> okay. I will say we are the only ones. <laughs> you said it. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I also want to talk about just the, like, what brings people to this? Because you came to this later in life. You know, I didn't start modeling and acting until I was 25, 26. Um, but I had the inclination as a kid, so I was drawn to it. Do you think that models and actors are more insecure than the average bear because I'm starting to believe they are. I think the sensitivity that allows us to really get there when we do can also be like the ultimate curse. And it seems like the more I talk to models and actors and even people in the industry, creatives in general, everyone's like, I'm so nervous. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about insecure because I think a lot of people are insecure, have those, those feelings come up. I think what most models and actors are, are courageous and brave. Mm. Mm. And I would imagine that that is the strongest pull that puts us in this industry and in these auditions and spaces to be seen. That's why a lot of people won't do this work. Because being seen the way that we are is very vulnerable and some people aren't willing to be in that space to yeah. to be exposed like that, yeah. to be judged basically in mm-hmm. a way, and to be like stripped down to like who we are as people and to be questioning that and and <laughs> like being booked off of being one inch higher. Like what? Yeah. I mean, there's so much out of our control, but there's so much in our control. And it does take courage because it's, you know, public speaking is the number one fear. Mm. People would rather... Is that fact? Yeah. Whoa. More than the fear of death. People oh would rather gosh. be in the casket than giving the eulogy in front of a crowded church. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Come on. No, but seriously, it's and it's it's true. It's terrifying. I yeah. I'm, I used to be so shy. You know, like I said, I was so shy. But in college, I couldn't introduce myself on the first day of class without like shaking oh. and my voice cracking. And auditions have beat that out of me because I've had to go walk into a room 
with very little preparation and they say, all right, go be impressive, be confident, but not cocky, be likable, but also say the words we want you to say, but make them sound Mm. like you thought of them. And Mm. it's just like it, there's a lot of things you have to get over to be able to do that comfortably. Well, that's a lot of pressure you put on yourself. First of all, to say the right thing, to make the right move, to put your facial expression the right way. Yeah. The fuck is the right way? (laughs) Like, like really, if you think about commercial auditions, I feel like is a great place to, to put this example in because a lot of times they just choose based off of you being one inch taller. Like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's really not about you. Yeah. Yeah. So why even put yourself through the, the frustration and what did you say? Um, what the, what were you just saying? The vulnerability? I didn't say that. No. I don't know. But why put yourself through this? Yeah. The pressure of it to try to get it right and do it the way you think someone else wants it done. Like, yes, follow the directions, of Mm -hmm, course. mm -hmm. But otherwise, be yourself. Do it how you think it needs to look, how you think it needs to feel and sound like and move the way you move on a regular basis. I mean, that's what they always say, like, actors make choices Mm -hmm. because there are infinite choices and they're you know, maybe the director wants to give you a specific line read and wants to like literally pretend you're claymation and move you around like, like a, a dummy. But more often than not, like you have some freedom to explore in the space and do what feels right because there is no right answer. It goes back to what we were talking about abstract versus realist, like abstract. There's this freedom of like, it's how I feel. And it's, there's no compositional rules of like, necessarily rule of thirds or forced perspective or leading lines like it's just it's very amorphous and as opposed to concrete it's not fucking math there's no right answer there's just answers yeah the sooner you realize that what you want or the answers that you want are within you Mm. the better off yeah you know yeah yeah and i mean like i had a boss when i worked in the theme park design company we were building models for all the theme parks and we you got to do all these really, really cool sculpture elements and I, he was my mentor and all the time I'd be asking for his like approval or validation and he would just say like, do you like it? And I, like when forced... With, <laughs> like, do you like it like yeah, that? Yeah, he'd be like, do Great. you like it? I like and, this and person. Like, you're, when you're really forced to like, consider that question, it's like, mm, I think I could push it. Like, I think I could work it, like, work it a little more, massage it a little more or like, no, I like it. Like, And then he'd be like, good, you're done. Like he like oh, put it on goodness. me and that's... That's a really beautiful way to do it because he's like, you know, like, you know. Yeah. uh, This makes me think of when you're in like an audition class or a casting director workshop and you go through the scene like first time or second time, whatever it is. 50th time. Yeah. 50th time. No, they wouldn't let you go that far. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So say first time and you you get through the scene and they're like, how how do you feel? Yeah. And you're like, I don't know. I I think I could have done it better. And you're just like. And I'll speak from my experience. If I ever did that, it'd be like, because I don't want to say I did great. And then they'd be like, listen, here's where we can speak things. And my ego would just be so crushed Mm -hmm. to think I sucked. Right. And I did a horrible job rather than just owning. It felt great. I think I did the best I could. Yeah. Yeah, And I have this person here, mentor, supporter, who is going to give me some pointers that they saw that could elevate my performance. Yeah. 
That's be- amazing. Before that new information, you did the best you could. Well, I did the best I, I thought I did. Yeah. And it probably was great. <laughs> and, and you know, there's no other meaning attached to it when they give you feedback. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, that's the same with auditions. You walk out of an audition room, you're like, I fucking nailed it. And yeah. then you don't get a callback. <laughs> and you walk out of an audition room, and you're like, well, that was fucking weird. Yeah. And you get a callback and you book it. Yeah. And there's this dance between the way you think it should go and the direction you're getting. And if the director can pull pull you out of your stubborn, like, I got this. I know how this is supposed to go. And mm-hmm. he gets what he wants. Mm-hmm. The director is the guy booking you. If if we booked ourselves, we'd get every job because we think we know what we're supposed to do. But you have to be open to, to direction and feedback and criticism and change and, you know, being a part of that dance because it's not, you're not an island. That it's a, There's a community creating this yeah. thing. Any set, any... From a, the lowest non-union commercial to the biggest Marvel movie, there's you know many many hands at play, and you've got to get out of your own way and like yeah bring what you can to the table, but also collaborate. Yeah, uh, you said like we think we know what we're supposed to do, and that brought up this uh, this thing I say is DNA. Mm-hmm. Do not assume. Yeah. Like, especially when you're in the room and I've been here before myself where they'll tell me what like direction mm-hmm. and I, I'll think I understand. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then I'll fucking forget because I basically blacked out when they were telling me. <laughs> yeah. Like, what was your name? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Look at the call <laughs> I sheet. I was not listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in these moments, like you have ownership to be like, hey, I need like, can you please repeat what Mm -hmm. or ask for it in a different way? Because we all hear things differently Mm -hmm. and process them differently. And you have ownership to ask them to elaborate or whatever it is that you need so that you can do your audition and feel good about it. And don't pretend like, you know, when you don't. Exactly. (laughs) You know, that was a big tip I got in. I don't remember which class I took, but it was like if the, you know, a lot of times the director will be like, yeah, do a take that's more like exuberant. And you'd be like, okay, okay. But you have no idea what that means. You'd be like, what do you mean by exuberant? Like, yeah. just, just ask for clarification. Yeah. Because you're not going to impress him by pretending you know what the, like, you're not, that's not going to win him over. Like, what's going to win him over is asking for the elaboration and then giving him what he wanted because you now understand it. Yeah. And there's like two ways that, like, not asking or asking it could go that could be cool, actually, of like, okay, he said, give me exuberance. You do what you think exuberance is. Yeah. And that could be your own way. And I mean, maybe that's a good take. And then I ask you to do it again. And then you're like, what does that mean for you? Yeah. Yeah. So that I can like hit it a little more closely to what you're specifically looking for. Because the way I see exuberance may be very different than the way they see the exuberance. But if you have no idea what that word means, don't take a shot. Yeah. Like, yes. (laughs) Ask for clarification on the definition. (laughs) Yeah. Because I remember I did that once and. What did, he said like swagger. He's like, I want to see some swagger, and I was like, like, uh, like Ryan Gosling, and he oh, was God. like, <laughs> I was trying, I was like a Ryan, Ren, like I was trying to think of some like confident leading man, and he was like, he was like, if that's what that means to you, yeah, <laughs> there you go, there yeah. you go. So there you go, yeah. Maybe like he just wanted to see how you do it. Yeah, I did. I wonder like if it. they do it on purpose. <laughs> I think there's an element of them. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a director, so it's hard to say what, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on them in those rooms because they're impressing the client and the production company and they're showing that they can get a performance out of someone they just met and they can, they can direct them. And 
so you know the director is the voice of god like listen listen to their voice and do what they say yeah and do it your way like i could see them you know that was a perfect example like to me they wanted you to do it your way so that they can see how you would yeah how what that looks like for you because again we're all very individual mm-hmm. and you are going to show up to things differently than the next person they're auditioning, whether you look very similar or not. Yeah. Your beings are so different. Yeah. I also want to talk about this being idea. This mm-hmm. ontological, was it? Yeah. So when you work with a client, you know, this process of carving down to their essence and then transforming them into something that's more closely in line with that, what sort of, because I think, I think like coaching and life coaching is the new, is like therapy in the 80s and 90s where it's like, oh, you go to fucking therapy? Like, <laughs> lame. Um, people are not as open to it. and But I think there's so many valuable tools that can come from that mentor-mentee relationship. And so I'm just curious like a little bit more about your process and the tools you bring to the table and the resources you utilize. Yeah. Well, first, uh, ethically, Therapy and coaching is different. Yeah. I am not a therapist. Right. Um, There's also consulting that gets confused with the two Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And in consulting, they're typically like the expert. They give the advice. And in therapy, you typically talk about your feelings Mm -hmm. and why things have happened to you in the past, past traumas that are currently affecting you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in coaching, we are partners. I am not an expert. It is client driven and we are working on, like I said earlier, minimizing the gap, closing the gap from where you are to where you want to be. So it is future based in a realm of looking, uh, through a lens of possibility, what you see to be possible, what your vision is, how you would like to like it to go differently and moving towards those visions yeah so in my training i am taught gosh a lot of tools Mm -hmm. um like 100 hundreds i'm sure to pull from and you know once we get through foundations or you know what it's so different for each client Um, I don't want you to give away your secret sauce or anything like that. Well, I mean, there's no real secrets. A lot of people will ask me like what it is or what is this? And then ask me how much I charge and stuff. And it is something that you really need to experience, at least with the coaching that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, The impact comes from actually experiencing it and having the a session. Um, So I offer everybody a free initial session. But yeah, like, the really cool, one of the really cool things about coaching is I get to meet people exactly where they are. Yeah. So, you know, some people are like, well, I don't really have anything going on in my life. Okay. Well, like Start you there, don't yeah. need to be like Serena Williams to be getting <laughs> coaching. Yeah. You can be who you are and want results or want transformation in your life and you can get coaching mm-hmm. exactly from that place. Mm-hmm. And so then we will ultimately create projects and that's where coaching, like coaching really doesn't exist without a project Yeah. and a project is, um, essentially like a goal, something that you're looking to transform, um, and we'll create structures around it. 
Um, each session, you'll bring a coaching request or work on something that we previously decided on working on. Mm-hmm. And I will support you through it. We will create weekly practices so that, you know, like manifestation, it's not just saying what you're doing. No. You are actually practicing and creating something based on what you see and the declarations that you make mm-hmm. um, to ultimately get you the result that you want. Yeah. And I mean, I think from what I can interpret, like the action, the taking action towards something, having a goal, but then also the accountability is a huge part of why like it's results are attained because I don't know. I've read every self-help book, spirituality book, philosophy book from like Eckhart Tolle to like, I love Eckhart Tolle, you know, to whatever. And it's like, I'll read it like, God, that makes so much sense. And I close the book and I put it on the shelf and Mm -hmm. I go about my life and nothing changes because there's no accountability and there's no one like to say like, Oh, like I got it. I have to do this work because that initial step that I talked about going to the studio and like getting myself to go draw. If it's just me trying to get there, like I will push it back farther and farther and farther. But if there's some accountability and you know, if you're paying, like there is something about like paying for a service where you're like, I don't want to waste this. And obviously that's not all what it comes down to, but just that element of having the responsibility to deliver and not let someone else down and like not let yourself down really by falling through with your your goals and your whatever you have set for yourself yeah and that's what's so impactful about having it be client driven Mm -hmm. i'm not telling you what to do i'm not even telling you to get coaching like no one needs coaching yeah you know it's based on your choice again what you're committed to and what action you're willing to create and if you choose that it's not coaching or whatever it is then it's not and if you choose to not take create the practices and whatever, then we will have the conversation around it to see, you know, what's holding you back and stuff. Cause you really are a mirror. You're just holding up a mirror to this person and saying like, it's, you have it. Like, let me just show you, like help you see it. Let me hold the light for you. Yeah. That pretty much happens with everybody at some point, because again, when you're creating something new, it brings up a lot of things for people typically. Um, so being a mirror and shining a light is, necessary yeah reminding um acknowledging and supporting being accountable holding them accountable having them create accountability structures in their life Mm -hmm. um and letting the individual be the author and the creator of their life Mm -hmm. and do you think there's an element of like because you were texting me this morning like it's your personal hype man for the day like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, you're going to go crush this audition because I had to push a, push our meeting back because mm-hmm. I had an audition pop up. But like, it felt really fucking good to have yeah. someone be like, I believe in you. Yeah. Because like, I can say that all I want, but it's like, do, you know, do I? Yeah. I'm like, you know, I talk to my friends or my family about auditions and I have like, I'm like, don't ask about it. Like, I'll tell you if I book <laughs> it. But like, they don't really know. So it's hard for them to give me encouragement. So I think having someone who's just like, I fucking love you. You're amazing. Like, go get it. Like, that feels so good. Yeah. And again, like when when you're in survival, you need the reminders. Yeah. And also, because we are so different, like in the coaching space, all coaches are different too. Sure. Um, like our beings are. It said like our being is eighty percent of the work, and why you would want coaching from me versus a different coach, mm-hmm. and that's just who I am. Like. I grew up on sports teams my whole life. I'm very accustomed to chanting for people, yelling for people, cheering people on. Yeah. Um, Like, I love that shit. And I love when people do it to me. And so that's just like 
part of my style of coaching as well and how I support people. Yeah, I mean, it's like treat people the way you'd want to be treated. I, I think people say that and they don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. It's like... Well, what does that mean for you? A lot of it has come down to like the way I interact with strangers and like way I meet people and like, you know, we met at a party on Saturday and mm-hmm. I was like, I think she's really cool. Like, I'd like to hang out with her, but like, I don't, I'm going to follow her on Instagram and I, <laughs> I can find you pretty easily through our mutual friends. Yeah. And then I was like... And I'm putting, I'm constantly putting myself in your shoes. I'm like, would it be weird if I, if I, if it was me and Aubrey followed me after that party, would I feel good? Yeah, that would feel really good. And then would it be weird if I like, I don't know if we, I DM'd you first or I responded mm-hmm. to something, but like, I'm like, would it, would I like it if she DM'd me and replied to one of my stories? Yes. So I'm going to do that. And if at any point along the process, you shut it down and you're like, this dude's fucking weird or he's like trying to hit on me or like whatever you think. I'm like, all right, cool. But my intentions were like, I would like it if this happened to me. And I learned a lot of this from like one of my ex-girlfriends where it's like, she's so good at just like complimenting people out of nowhere and becoming friends with them and then following through on hanging out with that person, mm-hmm. not just being this like Instagram perma friend. And it's like, that feels great when someone does that to you. So like do it to other people and they'll be so thankful. Like break the ice on set with a guy who looks just like you because he's probably being like, fuck, I don't want to talk to this guy. Like, yeah. Like you both want the same thing, but one of you just has to start it, you know? Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a level of like connection. And as human beings, whether you're introverted or more of like a homebody or not, uh, a human experience connection is part of it. Mm-hmm. And to me, like love is life. And so like no matter the personality, like everybody, in my opinion, you can challenge me, yeah. but I'm sticking with it. <laughs> yeah. Wants connection, even yeah, if they don't even it. really realize it. You, I mean, babies die without it. It's, yeah. it's a fundamental need for us. And you got to read the room. Like, you know, like if you're, your intentions are in the right place, you're trying to connect with someone and they're in their book and they're just like kind of giving you short responses, back off. Because yeah. I've had times on set where I'm trying to just read and be like, I'm, I'm a, it's a quiet day for me. And someone does not get it. And yeah. just like, like, that's annoying. But like, but yeah, people want connection. Yeah. Ideally, they don't want to spend the day like eyeing everyone and snacking. They want to like <laughs> make up, make a new friend and like even more ideally make a real friend that then they go for a hike with and then yeah. they start booking auditions together and then they go to their party. <laughs> this is so LA. That is so LA. Guys, we go on set, lock eyes, have crafty together, make, we stalk each other before we make our date. We stalk each other on Instagram a little, slide through the DMs, go on a hike date, get some creation after, have oh a smoothie and then we go home. <laughs> That's it. You nailed it. Oh, God. I, I love, love LA. It. I love it. Well, tell everyone where they can find you because I know you have your coaching program out there and everything. Yeah. Uh, you can definitely connect with me on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Aubrey, A-U-B-R-E-Y. It's a B, Aubrey. It very often gets... Audrey. Yes. I had to... Go, in my head, I was like, it's Aubrey. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so Aubrey Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N underscore is my Instagram we can follow each other there. Uh, my coaching website, there's a link in my Instagram profile, um, but it is boldlybecoaching.com. Boldly mm-hmm. is the name of my coaching practice. And you do a free session, you said? Free initial session. Yeah. I also have a, if you're ready to just jump right in, um, is a two-session package called Creation Conversation. Creation with a C or a K? A C. Not, like the, not, <laughs> not like the, the creation. <laughs> no, not the LA creation. Um, and that's, 
two sessions, super impactful, very fun, creative conversations to give you a lot to chew on and practice and create awareness around. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye, kids. (laughs) 